the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 308. I'm Paul Spain. You've got Tom Hooker from SMX. Thanks for having me here, Paul. Thank you. And Jonathan McFarlane from Spark. Hi. Hey, well, um, great to have you both here. Thanks for coming on the show. First time for both of you. So, um, Tom, maybe we can start with you. Where do you where do you fit into this world of technology? Sure. Thanks, Paul. So, uh, yeah, I'm one of the founders of SMX, uh, New Zealand's leading uh, provider of email security services. I'm also CTO, uh, director. I've been uh, acting CEO uh, in the past there. But uh, yeah, we've been around for around 12 years. Uh, I've been there since obviously day one. And uh, yeah, still there, still, um, still working hard. That's cool. Now, maybe you can give us a little bit of background on the company. SMX, we've, yeah, we've, we've talked about you, you know, probably quite a number of times on, uh, on the podcast over the years, but what's the background? You, you started it, so how did it, how did it all begin? Yeah, cool. So we're an email services company, and um, we started out before uh, cloud was, was it actually a word. It was um, in the managed services days, even before the uh, software as a service uh, uh, term, but um, yeah, we we do email, and uh, myself and the other founder of SMX, uh, Jesse Ball, we used to work at, at Telecom at Extra, um, and we used to run the mail platform for Extra. Um, we used to run the mail for about a million users, and um, yeah, we used to get requests all the time from customers around, uh, you know, what could we do with the service? Could we do this? Could we do that? And uh, being Spark or Telecom at the time, there was a very set number of services that we could provide, and um, we invariably had to tell the customers no. So we thought that we would. Um, go out and set up our own company there was obviously a market there for email uh, hosting in New Zealand back in the early 2000s and um, that's what we did um, but uh, over the course of a lunchtime one day one of our customers asked us if they could solve our spam problem or solve their spam, spam problem and um, Jesse Ball and my co-founder um, uh, spent about half an hour re-architecting the, the platform and um, pretty much that day we'd solve the customer's problem and um, yeah the business was, was born from that point we thought there was a, a product there and we went out um, selling the hell out of it yeah that's good, and obviously uh, Spark was reasonably impressed by what you were doing. You've ended up, uh, you know, partnering with them. Yeah, I mean that has been quite a long um, sale process. Looking back through some old emails, it was about a four-year sale cycle. Um, but yeah, we've been working with Spark for pretty much since day one. They've been a reseller of our services since pretty much the beginning. And um, last year, we launched a mail hosting uh, platform with them uh, called Spark Business Mail, and that's for obviously business users. And it's got about twelve thousand or so users on it, something that's like right. that. Um, Between twelve and fourteen thousand, I believe now. Yeah. Yeah. So that that, that was a good test uh, of that's us quite, uh, for Spark, and um, yeah, we, we came through that relatively uh, unscathed. And um, they thought they'd take it to the next level and see if we could deal with their um, extra mail uh, user base. And a bit of a bigger challenge, yeah. Yeah, slightly bigger. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. We'll look forward to having a bit of a chat about the um, the realities of that uh, during during the show. Cool. Um, and Jonathan, what's what's your role? Where do you fit in with, with Spark? Yeah, it's a reasonably large organisation on the scale of things here in New Zealand. It is, yeah. So I fit into the marketing team and then more specific than that to the home marketing team. So looking after our consumer uh, customers for their broadband landline service services and the value-added stuff, so like how we add in Lightbox, and in this instance, uh, how we're dealing with extra mail. So that's basically been my life for the past year, uh, just focusing on the extra mail product and, and seeing how we take it forward with SMX. You're not just a marketing guy, right? You've got some tech creds. You, you're that's right. No, I come from a product stuff, management right? background. Uh, it's only been this year that I've been formally sort of uh, amalgamated into the, the marketing space. 
Yeah, no, that's good. Well, uh, looking looking forward to having a chat. Um, now, a few little bits and bits and pieces of news before we uh, before we uh, jump in. Um, one that I've been, I guess, uh, we, we chatting about on the podcast over the last few weeks is Samsung and the future of uh, of the Note. Um, looks like from uh, from some coverage that's uh, that's out there that. Uh, Samsung are going to be sticking with the Note branding, so we're expecting to see a um, a Note 8 at some stage next year. And there's there's some sort of offering. I think this is uh, happening in the Korean market where they're offering current Note users who uh, who go on to an S7, they will offer them half price. I think onto the S8 or the the Note 8 is what I'm what I'm taking on that. So. Uh, yeah, that sounds sounds interesting. Um, I'm curious that they've kept the note branding, um, but mm. uh, we'll I guess we'll we'll see what uh, what happens with that. Whether that's kind of their uh, their long term uh, view. Um, other things in the news: um, Vodafone have come to market. Last week we mentioned that they were rebranding their hybrid fiber cable product as Fiber X, and they've launched their new plans on that, uh, which look interestingly competitive. So um, yeah, that was that was quite curious to me that they're basically coming into the into the market with some pretty cut price uh, offerings there to keep people on their. Um, their technology rather than uh, jumping over to uh, ultra-fast broadband. So I guess the curious thing there will be whether they pick up much market share and if they do, uh, what impact that has on uh, maybe what uh, Chorus and the other local um, uh, fibre companies have in that basis. So that'll be something that we'll watch. Uh, And also uh, big news in the US, AT&T buying uh, Time Warner for what lands at somewhere around 120 billion uh, New Zealand dollars. This one's quite curious. It's such a big acquisition. I guess it sort of talks to uh, what's going on in terms of that consolidation between different types of, between internet firms, telcos and and media companies and um, you know, I guess we've got um, Vodafone here and 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 Sky uh, tying together. You've got uh, Sky in uh, in UK and Europe who have launched uh, internet services, and now I think are offering uh, mobile services as well. So it's very very much, I guess, a bit of a bit of a trend that's going on uh, around the world for uh, um, for these sort of firms to um, you know partner up and to uh, to start crossing over. So. I'm not quite sure what the future holds in that space, but it, it does seem as though we're going to see continued uh, consolidation there. Um, and also, uh, Microsoft's Ignite conference has kicked off uh, here in Auckland, so we'll have uh, we'll have some podcast content uh, coming from uh, from that, and uh, also a new podcast that's launching soon that will uh, will focus a bit more on some of the uh, the Microsoft products and and technologies and so on. Now into uh, sort of I guess local uh, discussions and things. Google and Microsoft are, it seems battling it out a little bit a little bit more with their translation technologies. Mm. Have either of you guys had a had a look at uh, any of this this stuff? You ever played around with uh, with Google Translate or Bing Translate? I have to say, I haven't actually played around with the translation tools in a long time since we're basically a, a joke to sort of see what would get get it, get back out if you yeah, uh, yeah. flip from one to the other. But I've been reading some of the articles recently, and um, Microsoft uh, has announced, I haven't seen it backed up elsewhere, that uh, 
they're on par with the human professional translator now with, with their tool, which is quite amazing in how short a time they've had with it. Yeah, they were. I think what was the figure? It was something like ninety six percent that they were trying to hit, which is what uh, um, uh, that was the transcription side, wasn't mm, it? So, right. uh, so on on par with um, you know with with a professional uh, uh, person sort of tra- transcribing um, you know voice into uh, into text. So I guess that's a pretty important part from a translation perspective. If you're going to, uh, if you're going to handle um, voice, is getting that side right to, to start with for the whole conversational piece as well, which is, which is I guess probably the most impressive part of it. Not just uh, yeah, scripted or, or sort of quite form form letters. Just yeah, as casual as a local would speak it. Yeah, and I, I mean, I guess that there's probably a lot of people at the moment, uh, and yeah, you know, sometimes in quite specialist fields that that will do that transcription, and uh, this mm. just becomes another thing which you can hand over the technolo- to uh, technology to do. I don't think you can hand it over entirely, can you? Transcription. I mean, even even if you've got a professional person doing it, you still need somebody to check it. But I guess in time, mm. that's something that artificial and intelligence will be able to uh, probably do a pretty good pretty good job of. Well, this is one of the professions that's probably going to see some uh, attrition over time as uh, you know they get replaced by algorithms such as this, and, and they're going to get better and better. And, but yeah, I mean, uh, like you said, you always you still need to check the um, the human translator as well. We, we've had instances where we were translating into Japanese, and they got certain words wrong, like um, queue. So you could have a, a pool queue and a queue of people and a queue of email, and they all have different words in mm. Japanese. But in English, it's just one word. So all that context stuff. Yeah, they're not perfect, and it's good to see that uh, computers are catching up yeah and then so their their announcement uh, the announcement from Microsoft on the translation side and, you know I think it's it's fair to say you know in the past Google Translate has been that uh, you know that tool that probably most people would think of mm-hmm. from a translation perspective but of course Microsoft have been working pretty hard on this and you know of course they've got Skype uh, capability that lets you, you know, talk to people in other countries and or you know speaking other languages, and it'll be able to do that translation on the fly, which you know was was pretty cool, uh, Babelfish type uh, type stuff. Um, but yeah, the new announcement is, um, and I hadn't heard this term before. I don't know about you guys. They said um, they've launched in uh, uh, they've launched six Austronesian languages. No, that was new to me as well, but I had a look at the list. It's sort of like Fiji and Tongan and a lot of those sort of uh, real island languages mm. as well. Yeah, so they've got Filipino and right. um, another five languages, Fijian, Filipino, Malgasy, Samoan, Tahitian, Tongan. So um, that's pretty cool that they're, uh, that they're doing that and, and hitting up, I guess, what a, in some cases, not a, not a massive sort of uh, population uh, base. Mm. with some of those languages Absolutely. so it's, uh, it's real cool I wonder what the future holds with this whether um, you know people will there'll be a point in time where people don't bother learning uh, multiple languages as as often as they do now mm. I wonder yeah, yeah. Um, which in some ways would be kind of sad wouldn't it it's, it's kind of uh, you know it's kind of a, a good thing when because it, it also uh, you know learning other languages like learning Maori and so on um, you know is I think a great aspect of being able to learn about culture and so on as well right for sure and, and plus you, you with some you may even shift away your thinking in terms of how you structure the thoughts and languages uh, sorry the words within a different language and, and how they handle their tensing and that sort of thing so it would be a bit of a loss but at the same time the convenience factor just for the average Joe Blogs or business user could be quite 
immense. Does this mean we'll all be speaking English one day, though? You know, we won't need the translation. And or will it be Spanish? Or Spanish, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I think for, uh, for a lot of lazy English speakers like me, we, you know, we, we do appreciate the fact that, uh, you know, just about anywhere you can go on the planet, there tends to be a reasonable number of people that, that speak, uh, speak English, right? Mm. And, uh, yeah, you think of, uh, yeah, yeah, people in, in, in countries where English isn't the first language and, uh, you know, very much a large majority of them are, are learning a reasonable amount of uh, English, you know, much more so than what it was for 20 or 30 Thirty years ago, mm. so it, it does it does make life uh, easy for us and allow us to be uh, to be somewhat lazy. But yeah, it would be it would also be nice to uh, to have these tools and be able to converse you know, in a in a pretty relaxed manner with people that uh, that don't speak English. So um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to this technology continuing to develop. Now it was a bit sad to hear that Wynyard Group have gone into uh, into a administration. You know, this is a, a tech company that had a, a pretty big, you know, chunk of investment in it. I think uh, when they launched on the stock exchange in uh, in 2013, it had a valuation of around 118 million dollars. Mm. There's a, a lot who have invested into them, and uh, you know, there was a lot of promise around uh, their technologies that were uh, helping law enforcement mm. uh, around the world um, with. You know, really being able to, I guess, track and and you know help them solve crimes, mm. and uh, it, you know, really did did seem in the the current world we're in, where there are a lot of uh, you know challenges with terrorism and so on, that uh, that this was a business that held a, a huge amount of promise, uh, seemed to be very innovative, but yeah, they're uh, they're now an administration which um, most often um, doesn't doesn't tend to lead to a, a continuation. I would have thought. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know whether they can pull anything out of the hat here, and and what they've got in terms of an existing, uh, you know, how strong their existing customer base is, and how loyal those customers would be in terms of staying staying with them. Yeah, I, I don't know a lot about this one, but I know that they've gone voluntarily into the administration so far. So they're looking at other options as well, how they might be to recover. But as you say, it could be quite a great loss for, for law enforcement agencies around the world if if they do go under. Yeah, I mean, it certainly had a lot of promise. It's a growing market to be in, but, um, I mean, like uh, Brian Gaynor pointed out, they had pretty high costs, and, I mean, the picture of their uh, premises in Christchurch looked pretty flash. Um, yeah, I mean, look, there, there seems to be a pattern of companies, you know, certain companies that go out, raise a lot of money, and then spend all that money, um, and that's through hiring you know, techies and marketers and whatnot. And to me, it seems that they're not investing enough into actually building a business and, and creating a stable platform that they can then expand on and... Um, you know, zero is probably the biggest example for me that they're recently successful, but they're yet to, to turn a profit and making massive losses. They're well funded, you know, to date. But um, you know, how long do, do these does that pattern continue? You know, how long are people going to be able to um, raise money on, on that basis of not really having a, a company, not really having a, a, um, a user base, but just on prospective future revenue? Um, certainly, a phase that we're in at the moment, and in the early two thousands as well, the, the dot bomb. You know, that that was a factor uh, then as well. So. Uh, is that where we're heading? Are we heading towards a, a crash like that? Well, I guess you know there have always been a um, you know pretty high failure rate in tech startups, right? Mm. And um, you know I, I'm not sure that we've quite got a head around mm. those realities in in New Zealand in terms of what is always the ro- most appropriate ways to run these sort of uh, businesses. You know, Zero is a pretty interesting one because you know they've I think built a very strong customer base and so on. 
and you know keep talking towards the the focus on growth i would I would like to think that they could run profitably if they cha- you know if they decided they weren't being quite so aggressive on the on the growth front but yeah. uh, obviously they've they've chosen not to and uh, I guess they're generally sitting on a pretty uh, pretty solid base of cash that allows them to make that sort of decision but uh, and, and that was the message to their investors hey this is what we're going to do and, and yeah. they're, they're enacting that but um yeah, you know, at some point the investors want to return. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would, uh, I would think Winyard's probably in a in a little bit of a different uh, in a different sort of position, right? Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it'd be great if they can uh, if they can work out how to re- rejig uh, the company so that uh, so they've got a, a good uh, long term long term future. It'd be, it'd be really uh, disappointing to see anything else happen. But uh, I guess we'll wait and uh, and see on that one. Um, what else have we got going on? Um, mega upload. Kim dot com has been uh, at it with uh, with working to relaunch uh, Mega Upload, Mega Upload two point um, and he's gone through a, um, a a process of trying to raise funding. Um, I think he was looking for around seven million uh, New Zealand uh, dollars. He had a minimum target that uh, that they needed to uh, to reach for it to be viable of uh, of one point. 1.4 million if they had uh, they'd gone ahead and got that uh, that seven million dollars worth of uh, funding I think that would have left them with a valuation of what was the calculation before about 140 million oh. yeah and so yeah it's it's kind of kind of interesting for you know a business that hasn't really uh, launched yet to um, to have such a um, evaluation and maybe uh, maybe that's been part of the reason that they haven't managed to reach that uh, that seven million figure now it sounds like they're really going to be basically outsourcing uh, as much as um, well outsourcing a, a key part which is the actual uh, storage of the files, uh, so no one can uh, can come and uh, come and you know shut them down as has happened in the past. Mm. Um, and I think also they've they've talked around how they're going to handle their uh, takedown requests and how uh, how those are sort of manually going to be reviewed. So I don't have my head around all the ins and outs of exactly how how they're planning to, to run the business. But yeah, the fact that they haven't haven't raised as much uh, as much as what they're looking for suggests investors are, th- are thinking that this is um, yeah, this is something of a gamble as well. Well, yeah, I mean, although having um, seen the uh, the crowdfunding page, I mean, they're looking for seven million for five percent of the company, so hence the one forty million. Um, but the three hundred and fifty people who have three hundred and fifty four backers who have invested so far, that's an average of about five thousand dollars each. So that those are small small guys or you know individuals investing not an insignificant amount of money. They haven't gone to the to the big investors, um, and you know, I mean, it's not over yet. Good luck to them to, to carry on, but I think it's quite interesting. A lot of people so far have invested relatively large amounts for average people. That's that says quite a lot. They, yeah, they I mean, it's, be, it's hard to know. You might have a few bigger ones in there and some yeah, smaller exactly. ones as well. Yeah. yeah, haven't looked at the the backer page. Is there a minimum amount to go in on this one? Didn't get that far. Sorry, that's no, right. Because it's interesting. Because one of the things I see that might have drawn people to it, despite the sort of the history of Mega Upload, and this, this was the third or fourth iteration overall, I think, um, is, is that this one's being backed by the original uh, 100 mil user database. Uh, they're going to be loading this straight into it and emailing everyone they can and saying, "Hey, come back. We're we're a thing again now." Um, so that might be giving 
some of those people, their confidence are back in the larger amounts if that is what's happening. Yeah, and um, they're 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 tying uh, they're tying in very closely to uh, to Bitcoin, um, which yeah, I guess uh, makes some sense. There's um, you know there's still a lot of interest in um, um, Bitcoin, and yeah, if they can uh, they can, I guess. Um, earn lots of Bitcoin, then um, it, it's kind of going to be uh, going to be a rather useful uh, business. Particularly mm. the way Bitcoin seems to be still uh, you know, heading north in terms of its um, uh, valuation against the dollar. Yeah. Do you guys have any thoughts on Bitcoin? Is it? Is it? Um, I wish I'd got in earlier. Yeah, in the early days, yeah. right when you could have, could have bought a Bitcoin for uh, you know a few cents, a few cents and now worth yeah. six hundred dollars a piece. Yep. But those days are long gone, aren't they? Yeah, or do you yeah. think there's still room for it? Could it double, triple, quadruple, ten x oh. from from this point? Well, because it's got a finite amount of um, coins that can be mined. Those uh, remaining ones are just going to go up in value, aren't they? I mean, it's supply and demand. So you'd buy some? I wouldn't buy some. No. <laughs> <laughs> How about the hardware to mine it yourself? Oh uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, they're, they're getting rarer and rarer, so you have to throw more and more hardware at it. So mm. I, don't, I don't know if the returns there. That's why the bots, the botnets are out there, you know, taking over people's machines without the permission to mine the stuff, um, because it requires a lot of resources. Yeah, it's huge, and uh, the, the return isn't there if you use your, your work laptop. No, not that I've tried. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I'm quite cu- um, curious exactly how um, you know how this will will, will work in terms of those. Um, uh, the reality of um, of the Bitcoin uh, payments associated, basically with each uh, with each download. But um, you know, I guess there have been lots of things for you know for some time um, where it's been thought that sort of micro payments online would make a lot of sense, and and mm-hmm. Bitcoin's probably quite a perfect uh, you know platform for that. We talked um, uh, some episodes back uh, around a. Um, uh, a media provider that basically you you would sub- subscribe to, uh, and you'd get access to you know a lot of paid content through it, and I guess that was sort of something of a variation on this concept that you know ultimately we might pay for premium content, but with just really little drip feed, yeah. uh, you know type payments of you know maybe five cents for an article mm. or you know twenty five cents for an article and so on, and uh, that particular provider was doing something like that. You 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 know you drop in uh, some credit. Uh, yeah, it wasn't subscription. Actually, you drop in some credit, and then you sort of pay for different content sure. as you choose. And if you didn't think it was worth it, you can just ask for a refund back, and uh, and you you get a refund back. Mm. So um, yeah, quite an interesting uh, concept. But uh, yeah, Bit- Bitcoin could could well be a um, an even sort of you know smarter way to handle mm. it from a currency perspective without uh, um, a whole lot of associated uh, you know transaction costs and so on. Yep. Seems seems interesting. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll watch that. Um, we don't quite know what the future of of Kim dot com is. Whether he'll be uh, remaining in New Zealand or um, you know off to the US and so on. So we're still still waiting to hear the outcome of that case, um, as he's been fighting the extradition. Um, well, I think it's time we uh, we jumped in and maybe could get a little bit of an update from both of you on um, on you know what is what is happening. Um, I guess you know first of all, Jonathan, from a you know a Spark uh, perspective, um, you've you've sent out uh, emails inviting uh, inviting your um, users to migrate from their um, old extra Yahoo. Um, Provided 
uh, email accounts over to uh, SMX offering. Maybe you can just sort of run us through, you know, what all of that looks like, and um, you know why people should uh, should make the move, and you know any other commentary you like to you like to share on the on the process. For sure. So I, I guess the main thing, and this is a sort of big reason we've been going out so many times with, uh, I think we went up to the fifth email to our customers, has been letters we've paid for advertising and print media and digital, and uh, it, just to really make sure that customers uh, know what we're doing and that uh, we can bring their data across to the brand new platform from Yahoo, uh, as, as long as they give us the, the permission we need to, to, to buy the opt-in page we've set up for them. We've kept it pretty simple, but while balancing that against the need for security as well. So we've just, all you have to do is go to spark.co.nz slash email and just put in your address and uh, go through a very simple password change. Yeah, well, I mean, it's definitely something I'd, I'd recommend, you know, anyone who's got an extra account and, uh, you know, our regular listeners will know I'd, I've generally suggested, look, avoid ISP email. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ideally get your own domain name or, or, or something else. But I know, you know, lots of people still have, um, you know, have their ISP email accounts, um, you know, lots and lots. Uh, and yeah, Yahoo has definitely had uh, had a lot of uh, a lot of challenges, and now uh, you know their their future, uh, from my perspective, is um, you know, it's a little bit un- unknown as to whether they'll be able to um, you know avoid some of the issues they've had in the past. So yeah, I think this it makes a lot of sense. Anyone that's listening that's got um, got got an extra account should go through this process, and probably more so. I know a lot of our our, our listeners are are. Uh, you know, people that will influence their friends and family around what they uh, what they do with their technology. So, um, uh, yeah, en- encourage those that you know that have got uh, extra accounts to be um, you yep. know to be jumping through these hoops and, and making the move. Right, your, your family and, and parents in particular, we found that they're very attached to their identity. They have they they love having that extra address. It's, it's what they identify as online. They've been using it for years and years. Um, so it's important to note no matter what happens we won't be losing that address for them they'll be keeping it throughout the transition it's just that uh, as long as they do opt in we can bring all their data across and keep it as seamless as possible for them from one end to the other so how how does that work from uh, I guess a you know a technical perspective? Usually, when a when an organisation changes from one email provider to another, uh, you know all the emails suddenly you know points to completely different uh, you know service structure and so on. So how will that work? How will the, how do the messages get? Uh, you know, to the appropriate provider, do they still have to pass through uh, Yahoo for a, tr- a transition period? Um, you know, how how does that actually look? Yeah, so there's a period of time where we're proxying the uh, extra user connections through to Yahoo, and that that pr- uh, serves a couple of purposes. One is to um, um, make sure that we get all the uh, correct numbers together around how many users are actually live and on the, on the system, um, but it also allows us to um, seamlessly. Uh, redirect users to the old or the new platform depending on where they are in the migration transition. So that, that step's actually underway now. And um, for a subset of users, we're actually uh, proxying those connections. Um, and w- when we go to actually migrate users' data, part of the process is to, once the uh, users' data has been moved from the old to the new, we redirect their mail client when they log in through us to the new platform. So we retain control at all times to, um, or visibility rather, of, of where the user's mail is hosted. And once the all of the users have been migrated over, we stop that proxying. And um, yeah, so uh, and and that, that's how it's working now. And that way, we can uh, ensure that we're giving people access to the correct data, whether they've been migrated. Here's your new platform. Here's your your old mail, or whether you're still on the old. And here's 
the, your old mount on the old platform. Yeah. And through that process as well, part of what that proxying allows us to do is to bring the data over fairly seamlessly to the new platform so the customer can still access it live on the Yahoo side. Meanwhile, uh, we're able to bring it across to the production platform that we're setting up with SMX. And once that's ready, we can do a final cutover in the new year, which will happen sort of early 2017, uh, bring the rest of their data over, and then at that point, through the proxy, point them to the new, new setup. And for most customers, they won't have to change any settings or see anything different. It'll just be their email, and it'll be hosted in New Zealand. Uh, less spam. Less spam <laughs> on, a, on a very secure platform hosted right here. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, I I think it's it's you know great that this partnership's been able to come in, come in place using you know Spark using a, a you know, what appears to be a good local provider um, and uh, you know ra- rather than uh, working with someone offshore, which is cool uh, and sounds like you've done um, you know some smart stuff in terms of how that ties together. So if, if someone doesn't get around to you know choosing to move their email, what happens? So we are hoping it to be able to offer a second chance in the new year to, to just as a final sort of offer to bring over your data. Uh, in the worst case, though, they'll retain the identity, so their email address will still be theirs. They won't lose it. It'll just be as if it's been created as new on the new platform. Uh, depending on how they're using it today, that may or may, or may not actually matter to them. If they're using... Um, I'm going to use an acronym, but POP3, which is one of the one of the means of accessing your mail, where it just simply downloads it to the device you're sure. requesting it from, yep. then you'll still have that local backup, and it won't actually make any difference to you. Uh, if you're using webmail or uh, IMAP, which is the other way of accessing through a mail client, where it actually just sort of, sort of mirrors it and it views the content on the server, uh, though for those people in particular, it's far more important if they want to maintain that data and copy it over. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, so there will be a point in time, basically, you'll cut the cut, you'll fully cut across, and people won't be able to get at uh, Yahoo side anymore. Correct. Not at the Yahoo; they'll still get access to the to their mailbox. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, everyone I think who's um, has a mail who has an extra email should uh, opt into the migration so that we preserve not just their emails but their calendar entries, their contacts, and also their historic mail as well. Yeah. Okay. And. Um, now you're proxying the email, so it will just it lands in the right place depending on when they when they switch over. What does the webmail view look like at the moment? Is there just sort of one standard place that they it's they the, go? It's the same webmail currently. That's yeah. right. So it's still pointing to the Yahoo right now. The the proxy equivalent for that will probably be in the new year as well when that starts kicking off. And that right. will require people to update their bookmarks because obviously most people will be going to a, a known address in their browser and they'll need to update their favourites or their bookmarks at that time. But we'll be, or Spark will be clearly communicating with people about that. Absolutely. I mean, you can even do that now. If you want to uh, update your bookmark manually to extramail.co.nz, that will carry on working now and point you to the transition page when that goes live as well. Right, right. Okay. Yep, that's good. Um, and, I mean, this is, I guess, primarily targeted at consumers. There aren't you know, so many businesses these days that are going to have... Uh, extra email addresses um, but Spark's already got an offering with uh, with SMX so is, are there any additions changes to uh, to that because you already resell uh, SMX for business customers so as you say this is definitely a, a very consumer orientated product but you'd perhaps be surprised you still see a good number of sign written vans and the like around with an ad extra address on it that's um, true yeah good point so so these customers too should definitely be looking to opt in uh, there will just be a, like we said before a more secure 
uh, in home based uh, email product on the other side of it so there's no changes to them but they should be getting domain names absolutely and, and so not, not really having extra email addresses for their for their business right that's right so if they want to have uh, our sales at mybusiness.co.nz we absolutely have a setup with SMX which we launched last year it's been going very well and it's going to run on a very similar platform to what the consumer uh, setup is of course more tailored though to the business environment so they can have uh, admin over their own domain and I believe they can set up their mailboxes and that sort of thing yeah. as well yeah with that service, there's a um, delegated admin, a, a customer portal where customers can actually manage their own mailboxes and add and remove mailboxes and change aliases, that, that sort of thing. With the Extra Mail consumer uh, platform, yeah, it's, it's consumer-based, it's very much mailbox-based and everyone is at, at Extra. But, I mean, we, we've had a few companies actually track us down, having seen the, the publicity, phone us up and say, hey, we're actually a business on Extra. Um, can you just reassure us that we, we won't lose our emails and that we'll still maintain our extra email address so yeah definitely there are businesses out there still doing it and I guess mm-hmm. once you've printed it on the back of one wine bottle um, you probably have to, to keep it that way right <laughs> fair enough um, but you guys will will handle if people want to forward their uh, their email you know going forward so let's say in 12 months time they decide actually I do want to move to something different mm. you'll be able to forward those extra emails for people yeah there's a yeah. lot of forwarding going on right now with uh, extra mailboxes as we're discovering mm-hmm. um, and that seems to be quite a, a popular use case for their extra domain at extra address where they might have used it for five or ten years and then bought their own company address and then want their extra addresses forwarding to uh, to the company domain as well absolutely yep. so we won't yep. be taking that away on the new platform they'll still better set up an auto forward to whatever address they like yep and is there a charge for that if you know, let's say somebody were, were to um, you know I'm sure you're not super keen on this but people were to move to a different uh, different provider than Spark how would that work do you do free forwarding or is there a charge for that so uh, there, there would so if they've moved away from Spark and they're no longer eligible for the service because this will be free to everyone who has a broadband or an internet product with us essentially right um, but if you do move away from Spark then yeah there'll be a five ninety five charge to keep the email address active and then from that you can use it to forward for whatever period you like right so you can either keep using it and just pay your monthly fee or you can also forward it off that's right for, for and, and for that 595 it's, it's all your email addresses it's not per account it's just simply all the ones you have set up under your, under your account number yep yep okay okay good that makes some sense um, and I mean, one of the reasons that uh, I think Spark selected SMX was the fact that we're moving the um, or we're deploying for the XML customers quite a modern uh, platform. It's uh, from a company called Open Exchange out of Europe, and uh, it seems to be one of the main platforms that telcos and ISPs such as Spark are actually migrating to. Um, but it provides, you know, not just mail, but your calendaring functions. Um, and there's a lot of add-ons that, that we'd really like to roll out for the Spark customers in the following months and, and years around um, document storage and editing. Um, there's a, a cloud um, uh, storage uh, add-on where you can uh, store you know, files online with, with um, Spark and then have them sync up with your phone, etc. So um, there's a whole uh, suite of products that we're going to add on to this. And, um, you know, it... it does compare very well to the overseas offerings. In fact, this is, like I said, what a, what a lot of t- uh, telcos and ISPs are actually migrating to. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. Oh, that, that's good. And, um, you know, with this offering and with Open Exchange, I mean, how do you see it, uh, if we're now sort of thinking of, say, business customers, hmm. um, how, where do you see it sort of stands out against the, you know, the big cloud offerings from, you know, Google and Microsoft? Yeah, so, I mean, those cloud providers are obviously, obviously offshore. Um, the Spark platform is 
based in New Zealand that's deployed it in their tech and any data centre. And I think that that's the main point of difference for New Zealanders. Um, the data sovereignty, as we call it in the industry, the, the fact that you know where your data is. It's not in America or some some other um, cloud somewhere. It's actually hosted here and, and obviously then under New Zealand law and, and um, control. Um, and obviously then supported by Spark initially and, and SMX um, you know, as level two, level three. Those are the differences that, that you won't get with a free Gmail account or a Yahoo account. Yep. And um, and on a, and sort of comparing to you know the paid Office three six fives and and um, yeah I mean for, for businesses yeah three six five is pretty much the seems to be the the, the go to product um, for businesses and it's it's a very good offering uh, and what what uh, what lets that offering down um, is uh, is really Microsoft security um, that Microsoft don't really have a great track record in, in that arena um, and the fact that we can provide something local with a dedicated security company such as SMX providing that security with the local hosting and then Spark's um, resources to, to back that up. It just provides a superior offering. So, um, What's the security sort of, what's your angle there where you feel your security is better than, you know, you, that you guys can outgun Microsoft? Because they're a pretty big player and invest a lot into security. They are. Um, yeah, they, they are. I mean... So for a start, we're not tied to a single vendor. So we have multiple security vendors. So we use people like Spamhouse, who create a, a commercial, what we call an RBL, or real-time black hole list. Yep. That's a list of dodgy or known dodgy IPs that have, have been caught spamming or have been caught doing other nefarious activities. That We just don't accept mail from them. So um, we, we can use that vendor. We use another vendor called Cloudmark, who do about 40% of the world's email every single day. So they have a huge reach internationally. They see the, the new spam attacks or the new uh, malware attacks as, as they come about. And so they're able to um, put blocks in place as the attacks emerge in Europe or America and uh, b- before they um, happen down here. Um, and we, we work very closely with Cloudmark on the business side of things, on, on the business server side of things. Um, so we have a very New Zealand-centric view of the email security market. Right. We're able to feed that back to Cloudmark and our other um, commercial vendors, and they build the, uh, our uh, view in, in, into their filters, and that's able to protect all of their customers, obviously globally, but also in New Zealand as well. So yeah, ha- having that broad reach, having that um, that uh, good reputation on our um, ability to submit to our vendors is, is, is a huge plus for our Sparks customers. Yep. And it means that you know, having a specialist in there, we, we provide a business-grade email security service. It's pretty much the same service that the extra mail customers are going to get. Yep. Um, yep. And yeah, all supported out of, out of Auckland. So, I mean, those are the things that um, you know, we, we really have over our com- competitors and uh, that's why we've we've been so so successful in New Zealand. Yeah, well, I think it's that that local story that really mm. you know stands out, and that uh, you know having everything stored stored locally. It's um, being a specialist provider, though. I mean, you think most people uh, you know know email and understand email, but there's just an enormous amount of depth, you know, to provide a good service, to provide something that's reliable, and then to be able to support a customer when something goes wrong. And um, yeah, Microsoft do, do uh, you know they've got great products on the operating system and, and the Office um, suite. But, um, you know, they're very much a generalist. And um, for certain email um, uh, support uh, needs, you actually do need that specialist view in order to be able to quickly uh, you know, figure out what's going on and then put a fix or a workaround in place. Well, there is something nice about having a, you know, a local firm um, and, and, you know, local people that are, I guess... Uh, um, yeah, it's easier to get to the top of top of the chain. Maybe if you've got an issue, yeah. um, probably not so easy to get hold of uh, such an Adela at, uh, at Microsoft if uh, if you weren't happy with what was happening with your email. Exactly. So, yeah. how big are you guys now? Because you've you've grown uh, you've grown a fair chunk over the last year or so, right? Yeah, we're almost fifty staff now, and I mean, this time last year we were about twenty five. Um, so most of those staff are actually um, working on on the XML uh, platform or XML project. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, a few years ago, uh, you know, we started out as two people in 2004. Um, and so we've grown to, to 50 in the last year or so. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been a lot of growth, um, and we've got a really good um, uh, HR person who, who works with us to, to find you know the, the talent locally. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're really lucky in some regards to, to to be based in New Zealand because we have a lot of really um, great thinkers, great, great technologists who, who work with us, um, and uh, you know, a lot of great experience that, that work in the team. Um, yeah, you know, uh, it's it's one of the benefits of, of working down here. That kind of um, innovative innovative uh, way of thinking in New Zealand it really does make a difference down here and you know talking to our um, overseas counterparts they tend to be very siloed uh, in, in their thinking yes. and we're very much just you know bring it on whatever you, whatever problem you've got you know let, let me add it yeah and I think there is something quite unique about that uh, that sort of you know Kiwi Kiwi thinking and mm-hmm. uh, yeah probably the, the the common sort of siloed situation that you see in most uh, you know most international organizations is you know it's to do with their scale and so on but yeah. here you kind of have to be a, a jack of all trades to uh, yeah uh, to a degree, so there, there's something about the thinking that that brings that I think is uh, incredibly valuable. Mm. Yeah, and being a small company, you know, um, I, I sit right next to the support guys. So any incidents that that crop up, I'm fully across, or you know, any issues out of dev or whatever. Just having that uh, transparency or the, the ease of communication within the company, it really does make a difference. And having worked in large companies like IBM, where you're just one of 250,000 people. <laughs> Um, you know, it's very hard to, to affect change there. Whereas with us, someone comes up with a good idea, we talk about it in a management meeting, and then we make it happen. Um, and and that's, that's, that happens every day pretty much. Yep, yep. Yeah. Well, I think the, the, the larger organisations are certainly are starting to get that thinking, aren't they, in mm. terms of um, you know, being more agile and so on with their approach. But mm. uh, um, still not quite the same as what you can do as a, as a smaller local, uh, local firm. Well, that's, that's, right. that's great. Uh, it's, a great uh, it's a great story. I'd like to hear more about it in the future. Cool. Um, but we're running out of time. So we, a couple more uh, things we wanted to have a quick chat about. Um, big uh, distributed denial of service attack uh, over the weekend which you know effectively had a had a pretty uh, massive impact on lots of online services uh, Twitter uh, reddit uh, Spotify github SoundCloud um, that were impacted although not really in New Zealand so this is uh, this is quite interesting it was their provider of uh, uh, DNS or domain name services I'm sure the, probably the large majority of our uh, listeners will will know what that means but uh, for any any that don't um, when you have a domain name uh, basically when you type that in um, that needs to get translated back to uh, back to um, a IP address back to a number Um and uh, that service uh, for those companies was provided by um, um, DynDNS, and uh, they got hit with this uh, distributed denial of service attack, and it meant uh, lots of people, particularly I think uh, east coast of US, uh, basically just weren't actually able to uh, to use these things. So if they were, uh, uh, you know, big um, uh, users of, of Spotify, for instance, or Twitter, um, they sit there and um, you know effectively were offline. Well, DNS is one of those super critical services that every single internet service uses, whether it's you know your mobile device or your laptop or whatever. Um, and yeah, any critical outage on that does affect pretty much everyone using that. Um, and Dyn are, are one of the um, main providers of that, so that yeah, they're trusted by you know, the likes of those massive companies, Twitter, Reddit, etc. Um, for them to have a, to have an outage, it was a particularly bad attack, and um, you know it, it, it turns out it was. Uh, a, a lot of those um, uh, IPs that were attacking uh, Dyn were actually um, Internet of Things mm. uh, devices that have been taken over by the Mirai um, botnet, 
which is very interesting. And um, Dyne came out uh, a couple of days ago and said that they saw tens of millions of IP addresses, and that may have only been ten percent of the botnet. So that's could, incredible, could isn't it? It's an have a incredible base, and yeah, yeah. I guess it, it does leave you wondering around the the cyber security of these uh, you know internet connected uh, devices that aren't, aren't you know full blown PCs and smartphones and so on. They're yeah. um, um, what do you think those devices would have been? Because that's, a, I mean, tens of millions of devices. That's um, well, the, that's the, pretty nuts. The company that the finger's been pointed at, uh, I can't remember the name of it, of it but uh, they make CCTV cameras, and there are millions of them out there. And uh, they're, they're Chinese, ma- uh, Chinese maker of these things. Um, in fact, they came out today, I think, and put their hands up and said, yes, it was us um, that was involved in that. And they're recommending people upgrade to their latest firmware. Now, the problem is that a lot of these devices, people don't even know that they have a firmware or let alone how to upgrade it. <laughs> but the, um, the geniuses at this company, they, they baked in the, the default password. So yes. a lot of these things, you can't actually change the password or the password is well known. Even if you could change it, most people just deploy it with that and that's it. It's, it's out there and live. Yep. And yep. Uh, that, that's really scary. So yeah, I mean, I, personally, I think there needs to be a change at the regula- regulatory level. We need to have laws around this sort of stuff. Um, maybe some kind of warrant of fitness or something, but in order to plug a device into the internet, you should have to have passed something like a tele permit where you can't plug your phone into the Telecom New Zealand or Spark New Zealand network without, um, of course, network probably now, without it having a tele permit. Um, and, you know, otherwise you just get this um, scenario here where you've got anyone able to create something, plug it into the internet. When IPv6 uh, is massively adopted, you won't be able to use a lot of the um, mitigation techniques that these guys use because the, the pool of addresses is just so massive. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's not a good look. Um, we, we're actually a DynDNS customer as well, and uh, yeah, from America, our, our service was intermittently um, not visible, but locally because it was a, a directed at the east coast, we, we were still available. Right. So technically, you you were still online, but um, but obviously it it, um, well, it the, would have looked like for you know some people that may be in that part of the world at the time, yep. it would look as though you were offline. Particularly the, the remote monitoring company that, that we use, they're based on the US East Coast, so they thought we were intermittently down. Um, and our, our guys worked around it, but um, yeah, I mean, not a lot of people could, could do that. You know, some people were just stuck with it and uh, just had, had to wear it. Um, but I think this is the beginning of a, a new phase where we will see more and more of these types of attacks. And um, until we get some kind of uh, uh, you know, uh, regulatory uh, in, in, intervention in this, it's going to get worse and worse. Do we really want regulatory intervention? What do you think, Jonathan? That's uh, that's uh, that's pretty major. It is, and I think it's, it's going to be more difficult. Even if even if we decide we want it, there's been commentary already around. There's just so many manufacturers not interested in, in talking about or adhering to any sort of standards. They just want to release their one and two dollar uh, light bulbs that can change colour from your phone, and that's yeah. all they all they want, and all the customers that they deal with want at this point. But that Mirai botnet has already been responsible for a couple of pretty record-breaking attacks. This has yeah. been one of them. Yeah, absolutely. And if there's speculation is only 10% of the potential botnet was used in this one. Yeah, that's Wow. Yeah, very scary. The, the, I think the, the commentary, though, that I've seen, um, there's a tweet that summed it up best. It's sort of breaking news. Uh, what we told you has happened has happened. <laughs> and, and that's sort of the truth of it. I've been hearing about how this was a theoretical vulnerability for... Years now, as I, IoT yes. has been been yeah. growing up, but yeah. the death of the internet. Yeah, yeah. oh, you don't know. Could be. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, maybe we should just get out of this whole technology thing. Maybe it's all just too dangerous, <laughs> too difficult. Just flag it um, on on the front of sort of vulnerabilities and and issues. Um, saw some uh, some coverage 
uh, around a um, a Linux exploit uh, that basically gives somebody who had uh, direct access to uh, uh, to a machine sort of um, you know full admin level access at the the drop of a hat. It's a funny one. Uh, Linus Torvald himself apparently discovered this what some eleven years ago, patched it, and then uh, somewhere along the way they didn't regression test properly, and it came right back in again. But it is a race condition, you know. Let's be clear; they're very difficult to test for. So, not not that you know we shouldn't be regression testing, but um, this sort of bug is very difficult to find. And look, Linus did find it, um, but yeah, it was regressed. So that's very mm. unfortunate. It was known about and patched, and then reopened. I mean, that, that's pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, I think it just highlights you know the reality that we, you know you can't just close everything down and make everything you know secure, and we can have best practices and we can have standards and so on, but. Um, you know, even even uh, you know something that that had, has had as much attention as, as Linux can find uh, an issue that may have been sitting in there for mm. uh, for years, and and uh, you know that's that's how it's always been. And uh, um, there's lots of things that have been done to, I guess, reduce the surface area, reduce the chance of of these sorts of things being able to happen. But um, but it's it's still a reality, isn't it? It doesn't matter what you're running in terms of technology. Uh, there need to be, you know, needs to be some uh, some wisdom in terms of how that's going to be patched and maintained, and and how you keep it projected and and safe, and uh, you know, a, a lot of aspects of that that I guess, you know, particularly for smaller organisations, become a real challenge for them to be able to stay on top of. Mm. Yeah, we probably don't have a have a fix anytime soon. Um, the yeah, the government approach is a, is, a, is an interesting one, Tom, um, and putting some legislation in place. I. It's got my mind sort of spinning in terms of the possibilities of well, how would that work? And you know, you sell one gadget, and then somebody downloads some firmware or something off the internet that you know immediately changes it from one you know one um, you know status from a security perspective to another because mm. um, you can't stop all of those things. But I right. I, I can see uh, you know I can also you know see yeah setting setting some bars and some standards. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we may ultimately get to the point where we just we don't have any other choice than to uh, than to try and do something like that. But then, once but the cat's out of the bag, you know, how mm. can, how can you solve it when the world's already got uh, all of this technology? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's an argument that the, you know it's already it's too late. Um, and I mean, look at the um, health and safety regulations. You know, the way that, that the government fixed um, all those deaths in all those industries was to make the directors liable. You do the same for technology companies. Put a, throw a few directors in jail, and you'll quickly find that the technology companies will change their way. They don't want to go to jail. I, I guess if you did it for well, not just the technology companies, you did it for every company. So exactly. every company has yep. to buy stuff that's certified. And then, yeah, you have, I guess, the heaviest penalties on, uh, you know, if someone comes out and sells something that's, uh, that's, that's not up to scratch. That is, that is a fascinating thought. Hmm. <laughs> um, all right, well, uh, that's, that's us for this week. So uh, thank you both very much for, uh, for coming and, uh, and joining the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Oh, we did have one other topic we wanted to chat about, um, which we should just squeeze in, and it's around uh, autonomous vehicles, and um, it seems to be one of those topics we love to keep coming back to on the show, Um, but uh, not just because it seems so futuristic and out there because it doesn't really anymore, um, but because there there is always news and there's always movement in this space, and so um, the latest that we've we've just heard in the last few days is that uh, Singapore poor are about to trial a, a full-size autonom- autonomous bus on the roads um, that'll be able to shuttle uh, I think up to uh, up to 80 uh, people so this is you know full full you know 12 meter 
uh, long bus and it's got a, um, a particular area there in uh, Jurong um, West in, uh, in Singapore uh, where the um, NTU, the uh, Nanyang Technological University, is, uh, is situated and uh, they're going to be moving people around on that bus at uh, were the, were the NTU, pretty cool. Were the NTU engineers the ones who came up with it and that's why they're trialling it there to... I'm, I'm not sure about that, um, but they've got. Um, I mean, there have been other other trials and things we've heard about with with buses. I think we talked about one earlier on the year um, in Amsterdam, uh, but it just seems we're seeing more and more of this, and that you know the technology does keep progressing forward. Uh, Singapore seem to have uh, positioned themselves rather. Um, Rather well, shall we say, uh, in terms of getting attention, because this is the uh, you know the second thing that we've got going on on to- autonomous uh, vehicles there. Uh, in recent months, the last one was uh, uh, an Uber type uh, type service that was using autonomous uh, vehicles as well. So, um, yeah, I think good good on Singapore. It uh, you know it doesn't uh, it doesn't hurt to uh, gear up your country to be uh, uh, to be a test bed for these sorts of sorts of things and. Uh, yeah, I'm sure they'll get some uh, some benefits out of it. Um, and then on a related matter, um, an Uber truck has um, has taken its first uh, uh, or done its first uh, delivery. Um, Fifty thousand cans of uh, of Budweiser. <laughs> it's a pretty important uh, pretty important delivery. I think maybe, I'm... maybe not Budweiser. What do we, what do we think? It was obviously in America. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're saying there's a first uh, commercial use of a uh, automated vehicle as well, right. as they claim to fame there. Very good. Yeah, so um, all these things are uh, well are trucking on, aren't they? They're uh, they're, <laughs> they're they're advancing, which is uh, is all good. So th- there's a bunch more commentary around that uh, that stuff online in terms of the uh, uh, the details, but it was um, um, I think in the direction of a 200 kilometer. Uh, um, Journey that this one uh, made, and this is the um, the Otto uh, technology that that company that uh, or startup that uh, that Uber acquired back in August. Um, so uh, yeah, it is um, it's it's going to be very interesting to see where where that uh, leaves all the drivers in the in the US, which um, they've got uh, they've got millions of as this uh, technology advances uh, over the over the next few years. Another uh, profession that might be going the way of the dodo, taxi drivers. So, what do you what do you guys think that we should we should do if all of the, if lots of pro- professions are going to disappear? Uh, we do we need to be worried about that, or are there going to be lots of new things that are going to spring up? We're all going to be at the beach, aren't we? Isn't that what, what happens? <laughs> Robots do all the work, and we have all the leisure time. It sound, I mean, that sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, that's the promise. Yeah, will our current political system to be be able to handle that? No, definitely not. But well, look, if we outsource that to that to robots as well, now you're talking. <laughs> Some mm. multiple issues at one one stroke. Heading very quickly towards singularity type, uh, you know, scenarios and uh, robots ruling the world. Yeah, you have your faith in them? Oh, not not at this stage, but. Um I mean, certainly. Would on, we on need the, some legislation, maybe, to uh, legislation. to make sure the, yeah. the robots Who's behave? Who's going to make the legislation, though? That's that's the question. And will the robots follow the legislation, or will they learn to break the rules? They'll just change, mm. change amend the rules. it yeah, to exactly. suit their needs. Yep. What would jails look like for, uh, for bots? It's a good question. And, and Can you jail off a section of the cloud that they're living in? 
you have to take them full, fully off the net. <laughs> Some interesting matters to ponder here, uh, but we we probably don't have time to uh, to complete this discussion in in depth. Um, we might might need a, a few more uh, a few more years on that one, but. Um, Hopefully we'll uh, we'll find a time to have both of you back on the show, and uh, we can uh, we can uh, we can talk about some more of these Fantastic. points. So, cool. uh, yeah, we'll yeah. AI is going at that point. Are we ready to quit our day jobs yet? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's there's certainly uh, certainly some jobs going uh, in that direction. Um, but um, yeah. as Tom said, uh, the taxi drivers and I think truck drivers as well, by the sounds of it. Although at least in New Zealand, we have quite a shortage of those right now, so that could be a good thing. Um, but yeah, I think we're safe for a while, and, and you too. Uh, entertainment's probably one of the last things AI is going to be able to handle adequately. So, AI podcast hosts, AI CEOs, AI. Yeah, there's a few things that are that are uh, still to be sort of ticked off with the technology. We'll, we'll, but hey, it's all getting started, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, um, thanks very much, guys. Now, um, is there a place we can, uh, if listeners want to uh, want to reach out and connect? Um, either of you what's the best way to get in touch or uh, uh, Jonathan for Spark is it just sort of, sort of through Spark's social media channels absolutely if yeah. you have any questions about the extra uh, mail pro- project they'll get to me if they come through there yeah yep that's good and uh, and Tom from uh, SMX end yeah they could send me an email uh, ah, I'm in the email industry so it's tom.hooker t-h-o-m dot h-o-o-k-e-r at smxemail.com excellent that's yeah, good that's that's good excellent uh, anyone that wants to reach me I'm pretty easy to uh, to get hold of um, email paul at spain.nz uh, you can find me on uh, twitter at paul spain and uh, uh, facebook as well where a lot of my live videos are starting to uh, starting to pop up um, so uh, yeah feel free to uh, connect in those ways other than that, we will be back again very soon with uh, with more episodes. We've got a bit of content uh, coming in this week from uh, from Microsoft's Ignite conference. Uh, not quite sure when uh, when that'll all be edited and uh, and online, uh, but of course we'll be back again with our normal uh, weekly episode again uh, next week as well. So thanks everyone for listening in. Catch you again soon. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.